Yeah. So you're you're not a big Instagrammer, but she's a big Instagrammer, and yes. you're you're all about the Twitter. So I'm, I'm all about the tweets. Um, I, I've got my hashtags ready, even though hashtags haven't been used since about 2015. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So this is funny because this came up on another podcast I was listening to, which is like couple. Wait, 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 wait. What other podcast? Are you, are you listening to other podcasts? <laughs> Seriously, dude. <laughs> I thought we I thought I thought we had an understanding here. <laughs> so they they kind of discovered that what works best is when each couple has their own kind of social media that they can just share with each other. Yes. That way it's not like oh, constantly like oh I saw that I saw that too blah blah you know. It's like they they're allowed to have their own separate worlds and then they can kind of bring both of them together. So it's more of a curated experience as opposed to the normal social media experience of just a hell world all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's that's true to some extent. It, however, it does seem like a lot of Instagram is repurposed from Twitter, just Twitter screenshots and Absolutely, jokes yes. and one-liners, yeah. <laughs> and then I've also noticed a lot of Instagram is just TikTok. It's got TikTok all over it. So. Oh, same with, yeah, same with uh, Twitter as well. So <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh, I hate it. I hate it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, I will never join TikTok because I am too old. <laughs> okay, yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, however, since this is now a relationship podcast, um, we will we will dispense that advice. Yes, we agree that um, the different spouses should patrol different areas of social media. So again, I have Twitter. My wife has Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Twitter. It sounds like your your spouse has. I'm actually I'm slowly. Uh, the, oh gosh, this is turning into a larger conversation. I'm trying yeah. to wean myself off Twitter. So what I've done is. Well, yeah, I've, that's because our our favorite accounts aren't there anymore. Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> Matt Getz, Matt Gates, um, uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. There you go. <laughs> exactly. The guys who were following for the true information, like they're not there anymore. So I am trying to wean myself off social media slowly. And here's how I did it. I logged myself out of my accounts and I don't remember the passwords and I will not be resetting them. So therefore, now, however, I'm still logged in on my computer. So I'm again, I'm weaning myself off slowly. I'm like, all right, I can't check it on my phone anymore. But whenever I'm on my, on my computer, I'm obviously, it's got a separate tab open all the time. <laughs> okay, but that's a that's a good call, John. Again, we're giving good relationship advice mm-hmm. here. Yes. Um, with the exception of your- Good mental health advice too. Yeah, good mental health advice too. Ex- with the exception of your like suddenly uh, bigamous podcast view. Like, oh, and like monogamy means nothing. Like suddenly you're Dan Savage. And, oh, monogamy means nothing. Quick, get out, get out there. <laughs> Greg, look, it's called- ethical non-monogamy okay <laughs> read sex is dawn you'll yes. figure out that scientifically humans should be fucking everything all the time <laughs> yes also trans people aren't real um <laughs> so fat people are gross right yeah. <laughs> those are our thoughts on dan savage who still has a column somehow somehow he's been doing this for two decades yeah. what <laughs> what is happening you should check out Shrill. Shrill's a Shrill's a pretty funny show on Hulu, and it has um, oh, okay. uh, John Cameron Mitchell basically plays this very thinly veiled, um, <laughs> uh, like uh, persona of Dan Savage, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> okay, great. Yep. Bl- blog fights. <laughs> blog fights. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I have, we listened to uh, the audiobook of that, of which that's based oh, really? on, and yeah, and it was way more interesting when it was it was about her personal life, but like the the comment sections or whatever like i can't i can't abide she should follow your advice like just forget your login and then suddenly it's not a problem anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean if you can kind of sum that up as shrill too shrill's halfway to a good show there's yeah. like some very poignant <laughs> moments and the rest of it's just there <laughs> okay
need to talk about it. It's 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 on everybody's list. Yes. We have to discuss the biggest movie news happening right now, which is Demon Slayer is devouring the world. What is happening? <laughs> That's a great question because I, you and I live on the internet, so we have a, mm-hmm. a tertiary. Even though we don't really watch that much anime, I know you do with your your spouse. Um, it's part of your like Hulu habits. I know because we share a Hulu account. Sorry, sorry, Disney. <laughs> yes. Um, but um. <laughs> Um, well, here's the thing. I so I did actually try to watch a few episodes of Demon Slayer. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. <laughs> it's 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 pretty uh it's pretty rote. Um, well, I understand like trend wise, it's it's fitting very much into what everyone wants right now, which is like a squad based anime where it's like team training to beat the bad guys. Um, but it's just you know feudal Japan. They're fighting demons. They've got samurai swords, and I'm just like, is this it? Is this? There's no like real twist. To it. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like just hearing that premise, it sounds like. Every anime from the mid two thousands that you and I um, watched while uh, staying in at like one a.m. on a Saturday night watching exactly. Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. It's basically the newest version of Inuyasha or Bleach. It okay, seems like. All right. although I, part of the problem with Inuyasha and Bleach, from my under, from my very limited understanding, was those were kind of just like keep cranking them out fifty two episodes a year. Let's do it. <laughs> Whereas now I think the anime industry is a little bit more quality over quantity. So now they divided into like 26 episode chunks now they have like seasons okay so now they can have like more encapsulated arcs and they can have better production value as opposed to like you know <laughs> the pokemon and Yu-Gi-Ohs of the world which you know have to do a new episode every wait, wait, week, wait, wait, so wait, they wait. have like you... barely any animation what are you talking about those that's quality work right there okay all right when i saw when i first saw uh cacnea up here in a pokemon episode i thought that's just wonderful creation wonderful animation like i'm there thumbs mm-hmm. up for me um oh, okay yeah. cacnea is a pokemon right i didn't just make that up in yes, my head that's okay. the that's the that's the cactus pokemon okay. uh, <laughs> pokedex number uh 135 right. cool. <laughs> not even close yeah. <laughs> i think it's in the 200s so whatever <laughs> Whatever. The point is, <laughs> you and I don't have a huge understanding of this, but we are going to talk about it. And um, yeah, I don't know what's driving this particular fan, because I had never heard of Demon Slayer, but I am aware that, like, say, Attack on Titan has a huge following and could, yes. like, back in the before time, like, you would see, like, oh, an anime would pop up and appear, like, say, in the top 10, but not number one. And so I was yeah. wondering what is particularly driving this one. Is it the fact that. As you said, like they are going quality over quantity, so anime fans have less to attach to, and maybe even less like viewing options. So they're like, "Hey, let's go out to the theater, um, hopefully, like you know, in a safe way, and support this, support the genre as a whole, rather than like say this particular property." Is that the idea? Yeah, it or? might. I think. I think so. I think because again, like whenever they, whenever an anime movie based on a TV show, based on a manga, based on a web series, yeah. however, you know the Ouroboros just kind of constantly eating its own tail. Um, when, whenever there was an anime movie that came to the theaters, it's always through like a fathom event. It's always like yeah. a specialty kind of thing where it's like you buy your special ticket and you only sit with you know your your weird nerd crew. Yeah. So. Um, and from my understanding, the Demon Slayer thing is still that. But maybe because of the pandemic, because again, it's also huge in Japan. It's overtaken Spirited Away as like the most top rated. Oh, really? Or top okay, that's, yes. that is big. That's All the right. other thing, too. Yeah, and maybe again, like that's just pure momentum. Like because now it has like, 
you know, achieved this huge status in Japan, now, like, America's, like, kind of got its ear to the ground, like, oh, well, we need to check this. Same thing with, like, your name. Like, your name was a huge hit in Japan. Mm -hmm. They transferred over, and it's a huge hit in America, too, because we've been told it's a huge hit. So, number one at the box office. Now you have to see it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Well, your name never reached number one. Again, it was one of those, like, specialty titles that would appear at, like, number seven, eight, nine in the Mm-hmm. In the top ten box office every week. obviously now the box office got got God willing, it goes away forever or whatever. We don't have to like, you know, pay attention to it and it becomes yeah. less marketized. But like, yeah, what is what is it about this one that's capturing the imagination? And I hope it's not just I hope it's not just timing in the fact that we have so limited like theatrical releases to actually see. Because yeah, it also beats probably Mortal Kombat. I think the which... pandemic has something to do with mm-hmm. it. Because like I think there has like because the pandemic's you know, delayed everything. I think that this is kind of pent up demand for anime, believe it or okay. not, as if there was such a thing. <laughs> okay. How could people want more of it, please? <laughs> Stop. Stop. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, Japan is a bit of a. Speaking of how, like, I don't want to get to current events because I want these episodes to be timeless, but, like, we're hearing, like, <laughs> obviously, like, awful news out of India, like, a huge outbreak mm. right now. And you hear about all these outbreaks in all these other different countries, like where their vaccine status is, like what the case rate is in this country. J- Japan, though, has been like this locked box. Like they haven't been like reporting numbers or something. And like, I don't know, like how that's affected the economy, like whether they can produce these animation options. Because obviously, like in America, like The Simpsons isn't stopping. Family Guy isn't stopping. Bob's Burgers isn't stopping. They can still do that kind of stuff remotely. And is it the same way in Japan, like where they can work on it? remotely and still crank out this stuff or like is this is this like the only animated film release again it's like imagine you only get one pixar film a year that's kind of like what japan is would be facing like right now if if they can't like collaborate on this stuff like i I really don't know i think that says more to like how the animation industry just works period like you know you draw the storyboards and send it to south korea south korea (laughs) takes care of the rest yeah so um yeah i don't know how anime where i know that it's I know that that industry is very kind of insular and much different, so mm. I don't. Yeah, I don't really know. I can't really speak to that either. Um, you know, knowing Japan, they have a they have an interesting relationship with work, so I'm sure they're <laughs> still working themselves to death even with the pandemic. So, yeah. <laughs> capitalism isn't the grand. It's great. <laughs> I feel like Everyone I feel. Why it. do we always wind up at that conclusion? I guess it's like, hey, oxygen. It's the stuff we breathe, right? <laughs> That's just the world we live in, and yeah. <laughs> Well, there's this there's this book called Capital Capital Real, Capitalist Realism, I believe yes, it's called, I've, and it's like I've, interrogating, yeah, that that notion that it's like, well, it's the only option we have. Yeah. <laughs> you work, then you die. <laughs> yeah, and I I listened to a, a one of the many podcasts I listened to, the left leaning socialist podcasts I listened to. One of them <sighs> tries to do it through the perspective of, his, of history, and it's not like, oh, it's not like these left leaning movements have failed. Like what we should talk about is um, how capitalism keeps winning and like you know. <laughs> continues to dominate in our current state and how it how it has become the oxygen that we breathe and how we can't just we can't just hey have you tried nitrogen (laughs) (laughs) there goes excuse me greg i i'm at least what i'm just reading i'm just listening to fun podcasts about you know gay people and things like that you're doing socialist antifa you know organizing yes you're subversive you're an enemy of the state we should black bag you (laughs) yes um, you should uh, lock me away, um, uh, put me mm-hmm. to death. Um, however, I'll, I'll find um, 
I find the best way um, to address the um, inequities of our criminal justice system is to break into my local media concern, <laughs> break into my local ah. newspaper, and plead my case, and then hopefully um, I'll get um, that that de- uh, death order will be uh, relieved. I forget the exact word, like relief or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, pardon, pardon. That's yes, the word you're well, looking okay. for. Yes. yes. Well, Greg, I, I'm afraid to admit it, but I'm afraid this is the last podcast we're ever going to do. Okay? <laughs> I told you. I found a new man. I'm moving upstate. <laughs> and it's just not happening anymore. <laughs> well, uh, sh- shucks, girl. Um, I... Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Dagnabbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've... I gotta say, today we're gonna look at a uh, screwball comedy, one of the progenitors of the screwball comedy genre, but I gotta admit, not enough hijinks, not enough, the screwball degree is low. The number of screws and balls in this movie are too dang low. (laughs) I don't, okay, (laughs) well, we'll get into it, because uh, this is the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we revisit a classic movie and we adjudicate whether it's worthy of its classic status, and also just use it as an excuse to watch older movies, and so this week, we're time-traveling back to 1940, don't you know? (laughs) Yeah, hot crackers, what a scoop, because this week we're revisiting the front page remake known as His Girl Friday. How long is it? How long is what? You know what? How long is it since we've seen each other? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I spent six weeks in Reno, then Bermuda, about four months, I guess. Seems like yesterday to me. Maybe it was yesterday, Hildy. Been seeing me in your dreams? No, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any place. Anywhere. Ah, oh, you're repeating yourself, Walter. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course, I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you. Yes, I wish you hadn't done that, Hilly. Done what? Divorce me. Makes a fellow lose all faith in himself. Gives him a... Almost gives him a feeling he wasn't wanted. Oh, now, look, Junior, that's what divorces are for. Nonsense. You've got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever, till death do us part. Why, a divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words mumbled over you by a judge. We've got something between us. Nothing can change. Mm, well, I suppose you're right in a way, Walter. Sure, I'm right. I am fond of you, you know. And a girl? I often wish you weren't such a stinker. Yeah. Yeah. Who's this Hitler fellow, by the way? <laughs> What's he doing in Germany? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it seems a bit off his rocker, but who am I to judge? Yes. <laughs> Just keep our head, to, keep our nose to the grindstone, boys. <laughs> Here in America, we mind our own business. Yeah, gosh, this this is always my instinct whenever I'm I'm talking about an older film where um, the, like the Hayes Code and all these morality clauses were more in play, and I think mm-hmm. of like the the worst, most subversive things they could say, like uh, you better not you better not run away, dollface, otherwise I'll Leo, Leopold and lobe your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just the fact that they could even do a, a strong female lead for this movie is kind <laughs> yes. of a miracle. <laughs> yes. Uh, for two films in a row, we're looking at um, films graded on a progressive curve. Um, last week, it was The Searchers, which uh, was very progressive for this time, saying, hey, this raci- the racist attitudes towards Native Americans, probably not great. Um, this time, it's like, hey, women can actually stand equal to men in some respects. Uh, not all of them. They, they wind up with uh, creeps and weirdos at the end of the movie. That's fine. But yes. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, for at the time they were considered progressive. Now they would get an F minus because <laughs> they they definitely uh, yeah, were not. Uh, 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 shall we say, uh, woke? <laughs> we would. No. We should maybe cancel them. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, that's not the most cancelable offense of this movie. Well, okay. First of all, we don't come here to cancel. We come here no. again to look at the artwork on its own merits and, and adjudicate whether it's um, worthy of checking out or seeing or, or deserving of that classic status. So we're talking about um, the prototypical screwball comedy. This is now what we talk about with that affect of like people talking too fast and over one another. This is one of the progenitors mm-hmm. of that. Um, it's directed by Howard Hawks, a you know a utility man of a director who could do like westerns and all this other stuff. Um, this stars um, Cary Grant, um, who was a great like comedian at his time, but um, who's really the star of the show and the one I want to get into is um, Rosalind Russell. Just the mm-hmm. absolute like supernova on this. She looks so amazing <laughs> and natural on this film. Like she owns it. Like every every second she's on screen, I was just like captivated. So mm-hmm. probably just from the first entrance and the first like little barbs that she exchanges like with his assistants and everybody like saying hi because she's a, a famed reporter in this newsroom and everybody recognizes her. But now she's uh, she's she's retiring from the trade. Uh, she's gonna marry a, a boring insurance salesman upstate. <laughs> And uh, retired. Yep. She's going to settle down and have kids. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a, fate, a fate worse than death, according to this movie. <laughs> well, no, but that's also like, again, like this is the expectation of women. So obviously she's like meant to be like a champion, but also she's like, you know, a degenerate. Can yeah. you believe it? <laughs> she thinks she can talk to the boys like that. Um, it's weird to think. OK, so famously, this movie is based on a play called The Front Page. And so from what I discovered, though, is that in the original, it's too guys it's the editor and the you know hotshot reporter who are butting heads Mm -hmm. and they're both male and here it's it's gender flipped for one of them and uh, they're also they're divorced so that adds another kind of layer and level of complexity to it and so that's obviously like the greatest strength of this movie is the fact that now we have the gender dynamics at play as well and you know this rapid pace you know rat-a-tat dialogue just sounds so much better coming from a brassy bra <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where is he? she jumped out the window I know that where is he anyway, I said dead. come to him Hildy, where have you got William he's in the, he's in the desk huh? Kevin she didn't kill herself how are you doing let me out I can't stand it keep quiet you're sitting pretty what's in there who are you what are you doing who is she this is mr baldwin bruce's mother what are you doing shut up i won't shut up you're doing something wrong mother, please. take her out of here what? wait a minute Walter. quiet louis yes sir. take the lady over to polog mike what? my name's louis peluso <laughs> lock her up see if she doesn't talk to him you can't do this what do i tell him tell him mr case of bt don't worry mother this is only temporary Walter, let go of me where do you think you're going i'm going after mother and i'm going to get bruce out of jail Walter, why did you have to do this to me Get Bruce out of jail. How can you worry about a man who's resting in a nice, quiet police station? Well, this is going on. Hildy, this is war. You can't desert me oh, now. Oh, no, will you get off that trapeze? You've got your story right over there on the desk. Go on, smear it all over the front page. Joe William, captured by the morning post. I covered your story for you, and I got in a fine mess doing it. Now I'm getting out. You drooling idiot. What do you mean? I just what I out? said. There are 365 days in a year one can get mad. How many <laughs> times you got a murderer locked up in a desk once in a lifetime? Hildy, you got the whole city by the seat of the pants. Sure, I know, I know. You I... know, you know. You got the brain of a pancake. This isn't just a story you're covering. It's a revolution. This is the greatest yarn in journalism since Livingston discovered Stanley. The other way around. Oh. And uh, Archibald Leach himself, Cary Grant. <laughs> 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 well, it's amazing. I was amazed I. Yes, it's a lot more compelling with the gender dynamics. Um, that I got to say, I have a lot of problems with the front page, the front page as a story. But again, we'll get into mm. that. Um, yeah, it's a lot more interesting with the gender dynamics, but also how 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 much they are as foils. Because um, 
Rosalind Russell, it seems so natural again, like she owns, she kind of owns the screen and she becomes like the center of attention in every like scene she enters. And again, like she's seen as at the equal. So she, if there's ever like a, a barb thrown her way, she throws it back or something. But again, she's like um, natural and steely as a reporter. Contrast that with like Cary Grant, who I think like as he enters, he's like getting his hair cut or like hurried around in terms of like getting the next story or something like that. And so mm. they also work as like foils in that way. Like, well, he's also, he's, he's really a schemer. He's yes. really quite the <laughs> sleaze ball. And I think that's also the weird, uh, this movie if I did have one criticism of this movie, it is it does maybe have a bit of a tone problem, which is like, okay, wait, how seriously are we supposed to take this? Because on the one hand, he like loves Hildy, and he's going to miss her. Yeah. But also at the same time, he makes no effort to reform himself and just turns into a complete sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if... I think in like most romantic comedies, we see like, oh, what a great guy he was, or something, or like mm-hmm. how like some grand romantic gesture but yeah every romantic gesture and every effort he makes to kind of keep her um in new york and keep her a reflection is like either tied to the job like keep her on as a reporter or like via the means of some like duplicitous like underhanded scheme like yeah like he meets his fiance and yeah the, the course of this movie the story only takes place over the course of one day and yet somehow he contrives three different ways in which to get her fiance <laughs> stuck in jail, either by like mm-hmm. planting counterfeit money on him, uh, planting like stolen items on him, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like having having another like set, hiring a woman to like pretend that you know I I, uh, I was assaulted by this man or something. You know, like uh, like charges of, of varying severity. Like again, all in the course of one day. So <laughs> yeah, he has like he has all these like creepy people in his employ. Like we see yeah. the one guy with like the zoot suit and he gives him this look and he's like i got you and he starts tailing him and it's like oh we know he's up to yeah. no good and then he's got the sexy vamp the like blonde lady who's like oh what's the play here <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's pretty i i'm surprised you thought you know this doesn't have enough screws or balls personally <laughs> i thought this movie was insane what they concoct because it's also like I thought for like again the reputation of this movie is like ah yes the fourth estate why America needs a strong independent news force and it's like no these people are corrupt and horrible <laughs> no I like that's yeah I think that's a post um, Watergate perspective on it um, mm. I think I think there is something about the front page where it's like oh this this may be an ignoble profession or whatever but it's still important it's still important in terms of like enacting justice oh and yeah. I. And I wish, like, the plotting, like, could reflect that a little bit better because, yeah, okay, there is some zaniness in the movie. The fact that he can get his uh, ex-lover's fiancé in jail three times over the course of, like, six hours is, uh, yeah, pretty zany. But the, the, the one thing that I can never get over in the, like, front page, it's like, yes, the, the um, newspapers can be a great conduit for um, delivering justice and, and, and telling mm-hmm. the story of the little guy if the little guy can somehow break out of prison and get into the newsroom <laughs> and like that's what always throws me like you know it's like somehow it has to be like that direct or like that absurd where they can escape prison and so mm-hmm. and like tell their side of the story in inside the newsroom like literally inside um this movie they expand the scope a little bit like 
I know the play takes place entirely in the newsroom, and that's why you have this hostage situation. It becomes um, here they can go to like a restaurant and establish like the characters a little better. Um, they also have um, Hildy, the character played by um, Rosalind Russell, like interviews him beforehand. So they they do establish a relationship like before he mm-hmm. he busts in before our criminal Earl Williams like busts into the newsroom and says like Hey, I didn't do it. Like you know, don't, don't, you can't you got to get me out of this. Like don't make them put me to death. Yeah, but it's also like it's also a very leading interview like it's yeah. a very creepy interview where she's like feeding and then what did you do did you do this yeah. it's like you know it's not like it's not like and then what happened it's not like how did that make you feel it's like didn't that make you feel angry <laughs> like you know those leading questions that you know interviewers sometimes do and again like the media can do to manipulate the story that they want to tell so that's also like again she has her, his best interest at heart but also you know they want they want the good story they want the good scoop because they need to sell papers doll <laughs> they need they need that coin <laughs> Yeah, let's let's address that. So again, we're not here to cancel the movie, um, <laughs> particularly not for its gender politics. But there's two things that bothered me, um, kind of socio-politically, that they don't really address. Like, a, you're right, it's a leading interview, and they and they throw out this term like "produced for use." And mm. and it's basically justifying his murderous actions by saying like, "Well, he had a gun. What else was he supposed to do with it?" <laughs> so and also what and you could interrogate <laughs> Sorry, that. Yeah, and maybe you could interrogate that. Like, you know, why why was this guy allowed to have a gun or something? Like, you know, but <sighs> yeah. And then the other weird thing about it is the fact that they make the point. This is where we get into the racial dynamics in the movie. Yeah. A movie that has no black people in it. <laughs> no, yeah. um, they make the point that it was a colored officer, and you know the mayor needs the colored vote. So because if they put this guy away for killing a black man, that then that you know again black people are a monolith. They only vote one way. So <laughs> like it's, yeah, and again, there's no actual people of color on the screen whatsoever. So there's, it's it's very weird. There's no people of color, and also like. The United States Army wasn't integrated at this point, and yet we have black police officers. Like that's that's what I didn't couldn't couldn't screw it either. Like yeah. What's the idea here? This lady claims she's been kidnapped. What? They dragged me all the way down the stairs. And put Just me a, a minute. Touch. Did this man have anything to do with it? Why he was in charge of the whole thing. He told them to kidnap me. Excuse me, madam. Are you referring to me? Well, you know you did. What about this Burns kidnapping? Huh? Oh, trying to frame me, huh? I never saw this woman before in my life. What a thing to say. I was standing right here when that girl jumped out of the window. Call the mayor. Get him over here right away. Now, look here, madam. Be honest. If you were out joyriding, plastered, or got into some scrape, why don't you admit it instead of accusing innocent people? You ruffian. How dare you talk like that to me? Uh, just a little crazy, mother. And I can tell you something more. Yes? I can tell you why they did it. Uh, yeah, sure. They had some kind of a murderer in here, and they were hiding. Oh, hiding it. In here, madam. You're a cockeyed liar, and you know it. <gasps> What was that? He's in there. Give me the desk. Give me that phone. What a break. Very strange. Yeah. Um, but it, again, the, the, like those ideas aren't articulated, but like why bring them up in your screwball comedy? Just make it a screwball comedy. Don't like bring in the like yeah. the racial politics of like, you know, getting getting out the black vote or something. Like, you know. No, and it's also it also has those weird moments. Like another interesting development is there's this woman, Molly who um, helps the, the poor uh, murderer, yeah. you know, one night. And, you know, she becomes part of the story, too. And, you know, the new, the press men, like, write lies about her. It's like, oh, an un- unreputed lady of the evening. <laughs> and, you know, they, like, kind of besmirch her character. So she comes in crying, and she comes, like, how could you write those lies about me? And obviously the only one who shows her any compassion is Hildy. Mm. And she takes her out. And, you know, the the, uh, the press boys, they're all seen playing cards the whole time. Like, again, they're just, you know, so nonchalant. Mm-hmm. And after she leaves, it's just 
just this like moment of silence for 30 seconds <laughs> and it just it's it's waited there it just stays there do you guys want to keep playing yeah i'm never gonna win anyway <laughs> and they just kind of like and it's like again they're supposed to feel guilty they're supposed to feel bad but also it's like that's a very heavy moment for what is essentially supposed to be oh cr- oh crack crackers you know the murderer's on the loose <laughs> you know it's it's very strange yeah so in the midst of the screwball there are three serious scenes that i think it works like one is that like in, um kind mm-hmm. of delivering the um the the emotional import that of molly like the, how much the, how much suffering she's going through the second is when earl williams does enter the newsroom and it's just hildy in there and then suddenly mm-hmm. like the whole it goes silent um the direction is shot, reverse shot between them. It's not like that stagey, like everybody yeah. in a wide and like doing this ridiculous block and like I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver my barbs on this side of the room. Well, I'm gonna go to this side of the room and deliver this barb. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So that moment works. And then I'm not sure if this is from the play. I don't think it is. But uh, Molly, like, in the midst of this hostage situation, he does win Molly's affection, and she creates a diversion um, to basically draw attention away from him. Now the means that she does that is jumping out of a two-story window. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, like as I described, sounds a little ridiculous. Um, however, that that moment is played relatively straight, and it does like now suddenly all the newsmen, like all the unscrupulous newsmen, as we saw, like rush over to her aid, like oh we gotta you know make sure she's a okay, and and she is like you know she doesn't die from this like suicide attempt or yeah this attempt to like practically take her own life or this like bout of madness she just had. Um, mm-hmm. But then we, but then it's weird, like going immediately back to the hijinks. Like, oh, okay, we got to keep him in the, um, in the drafting desk or whatever, and <laughs> and having Cary Grant go to the newsroom, or like he doesn't, I don't know. It just felt like another ridiculous plotting thing, or just wrong in a way, <laughs> like kind of because because he's such a cartoon character, like, and yet yeah. we're we're butting up against this very what I think is a, trying to be an earnest story of like, you know, giving this guy a reprieve from the death penalty. <laughs> well, no. And like, and I think that's the other thing. Hildy's the one who kind of goes through a transformation in the movie. She thinks that, Oh, she wants a husband. She thinks she wants a quiet life. And then she realizes, no, she needs, she craves the, <laughs> you know, fast paced reporter lifestyle. Cary Grant's character, Walter Burns goes through no change. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's an asshole from the beginning. He's an asshole at the end. Like, it's just, you know, like you'd think that maybe he learned some compassion. Maybe he would stop, you know being doing evil stuff maybe once in a while but no he doesn't he continues being an unscrupulous asshole yeah and i i didn't like the there's some not fourth wall breaking gags but there's some like self-referential gags gags that yeah meta gags which i'm not very common for like 1940 when like yeah illiteracy was still like um higher than 30 percent (laughs) but anyway yeah um the big one is there's two big ones that come to mind uh there's one point at one point uh Walter Burns, Cary Grant's character, says, you know, he once, like, killed a man, or implies he once killed a man named uh, Archibald Leach. Yeah. Archibald Leach is Cary Grant's birth yeah. name, so. Um, and then uh, Hildy's fiance, Bruce, is played by um, Ralph Bellamy. Yeah. Um, you know, in one of his schemes, he's like, there's a man waiting at the cabinet there. He looks like a movie star. What's that movie star he looks like? He looks like Ralph Bellamy. Go check him out, <laughs> you know. And so, like, yeah. So there's a few meta gags like that, again, like, when we can't throw it's And I think it kind of makes sense. Like, you can kind of make those gags if you assume that your audience is savvy enough. If the, you know, New York intelligentsia had already seen the front page, then maybe they want to go to the picture show and see His Girl Friday, the remake. And so, obviously, they're already familiar with the kind of, like, you know, the different elements of the story and whatnot. So you can kind of get away with that. So it didn't bother me too much in the moment, mostly because, like, again, I did not know that Archibald Leach was (laughs) Cary Grant's name. Uh, Obviously, you've 
dumb trivia questions about that before, and I didn't remember it then, and I didn't remember it now. <laughs> John, come on. This is what Trivia Challenge is about, so that you have, <laughs> so that your your personality basically becomes a Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I can accost people at parties, yeah. when parties are a thing again. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> Uh, now, granted, I will say those are the only two. Carry granted. <laughs> let's just let's just let that moment stand there for a minute, shall we? In any event, <laughs> those are the only. I must admit, those are the only two jokes I can remember. The rest are kind of like visual gags, like a, like when they sit down to dinner and she's like. <laughs> um, Cary Grant literally sits between them, uh, yes. his ex, his ex wife and her new fiance, and um, mm-hmm. and she's like kicking him, and she accidentally kicks the waitress. Like I remember more the visual gags, but I can't like tell you like having having seen this over twenty four hours ago, like what like an exact line, like one of the bars that, and it's more like the a, a screwball comedy goes by quantity over quantity and it's more like the mood it's setting up rather than like say the yes. specific jokes or like you know. it's about yes the rat it's about the rhythm less than the actual specific barbs mm-hmm. um i do remember laughing a handful of times even though you're right now i can't remember it but i do remember laughing out loud a handful of times when walter and hildy first meet in his office and you know they're like you know it's it's exposition but it's also you know trading barbs yes. so I, I i remember laughing a handful of times at that you know moment because again like it's it's setting up like oh we used to be married oh were we were we ever really married where was the honeymoon you know blah 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 and you know those kind of like back and forth i remember that scene fondly but you're right like again it's such it's a deluge i think in the trivia it mentions um you know most movies have about 90 words per minute this one has like 240 (laughs) yeah um i will i will also give like a I feel like I'm doing like a compare and contrast or like a like here are the highs and lows of this movie. Here was a low. Mm-hmm. And the movie does hit a low like I think around the what is the beginning of act 2 in the play when our the prisoner of our focus like Earl Williams when he breaks out of jail. And actually actually that's when Rosalind uh, Russell and Cary Grant um are off screen for the longest period of time. And I thought that's when the movie died. <laughs> like that's when I was like mm. like okay, I'm going to go like use the bathroom or something like maybe it may not be a movie with an intermission or whatever, but this feels like the intermission like, you know, cuz there yeah. are no like jokes and it doesn't come alive until we see the mayor and the sheriff. Mm kind of um conspiring uh, around getting votes and and trying to get this prisoner back and how they'll actually put him to be- death and um it doesn't come alive again until we see uh billy gilbert play uh, mr pettibone who delivers who officially delivers the uh the governor's orders to delay the execution um mm. and it becomes like amelia bedelia it's like <laughs> that that awoke me like a little bit like that that whole scene like every time he's on screen like again this and this amazing like dullard like um <laughs> Again, you got these two smart characters conspiring. They tell them, like, uh, no, you never came here. You never saw me. Like, what are you talking I'm looking at you right now. I came through the door. Don't you remember? Listen, you're talking to the Morning Post. Oh, power of the press. Ha, 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 ha. Listen, bigger men than you have found out what the power of the press is. President, king. Here's a reprieve. No, say, you are. Say, get out of here. Oh, you can't bribe me. My wife's Get out of here, you. Oh, no, I won't. Here's the reprieve. What? 
I don't want to be a city sealer. Who is My wife, throw him out, Frank. All right, out you go. Wait, just a minute. Wait a minute. Who's trying to bribe you? They wouldn't take this. He's insane. What did I tell you? An unseen power. What do you mean by coming in here with a cock and bull story like that? Frame up. He's an imposter. Arrest him. Come just on. Just a minute. Trying to hang an innocent man to win an election, eh? That's murder. That's a lie. Never saw him before. If I was to tell my wife. What's your name? The Pettibone. Joe Pettibone. When did you deliver this first, Mr. Pettibone? Who'd you talk to? They started right in bribing me. Who's they? Those. Them. That's uh, absurd on the face of it. Uh, Walter, he's talking like a child. Yeah. Out of the mouths of babes. I babe. Are you insane? Drunk or something? Why, if this unfortunate man, Williams, has really been reprieved, I'm personally tickled to death, aren't you, Pete? Oh, yeah. go on. You'd hang your own mother to be re-elected. That's a know. horrible thing to say about anybody, Miss Johnson. Oh, you're marvelous. Take now a look at there, Walter. You're an intelligent man. Uh, never mind that. Yeah. Well, let's have your story, Mr. Pettibone. Well, 19 years ago, I married Mrs. Pettibone. Skip all that. Well, she wasn't Mrs. Pettibone no, then. No, no, she was no. one of the... I mean, Jones. I mean, Sheriff, this document is authentic, and Earl Williams has been reprieved. And our commonwealth has been saved the painful necessity of shedding blood. He said it. Now get off the soapbox. Save that for the tribute. Yeah, he's good. He's great. Um, yeah, it's funny that you say, like, the... Like, for me, I was listening more intently towards the dialogue, so I, I will confess a few times I tabbed all over because I was watching on my laptop and kind of, like... Because, again, it is there is not a lot of excitement to the direction. It's very no, stagey. Yeah. It's very wide. It's very, you know, not a lot of interesting blocking besides you're right in the early scenes where, you know, Cary Grant sits between them. Yeah. And then also, like, when he's first introduced to him, he's like, you know, he introduces himself to a random old guy. <laughs> and he's like, excuse me, not now, sir. You can go talk to him in the office. I'm here to talk to Mr. Benjamin over here. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. The, well, there were some moments that stood out to me. Like, one, like, um, the opening shot we the camera like dollies all across the newsroom and that like perked mm -hmm. me up because yeah for like movies based on a play you usually just shoot it like the play or whatever and yeah for, for a majority of the movie that that is what it's like um and and that leads to some missed opportunities because again justice for rosalind russell she's amazing in this movie it's one of the best like <laughs> best performances i've ever seen committed to film <laughs> because not as not only is she trading barbs and looking like so natural like you know being the equal to men even in 1940 um at the end she realizes that she's lost her fiance and she starts to cry and usually this is when you like yeah. call for a close-up and unfortunately she doesn't get one because the camera's out <laughs> the wide camera and, can't get that close <laughs> yeah because a the camera's out wide we can't get that close and we got to carry grant's a part of the scene too so he's got to be in there too and, and we don't sh shoot singles baby like we don't <laughs> we don't have time yeah <laughs> it's our eighth production today come on yeah, let's go. i've got three more movies to shoot this afternoon <laughs> so yeah like howard hawks like for all of his talent like uh yeah just can't make it um Although I'd say like well directed for a movie from 1940, which again are mostly mm -hmm. bad, like um, can't can't make doesn't enliven the material enough. That's that's what I'm really struggling with. It it's like feels like halfway. Like oh, the good stuff's really good, the bad stuff's really bad. Like and so you <laughs> you wind up with this movie that's hitting this like bullseye of remembrance, like uh, like Titanic mm -hmm. in a way. Like you know, like it can be it can be like at times like really emotionally heavy but also very corny it can be like uh yeah. funny but not not in a you know guffawing way like more of a haha -ha way like yeah and, well i mean i think that's the weird way um you we kind of think about like crowd pleasers mm -hmm. is that there's a moment for everybody and as a result like the tone and the overall picture i think maybe suffers but you know depending on what kind of movie you want to see that day that's what you got you got the screwball comedy you got the romantic angle you've got the you know you got the heavy moments mm -hmm. like oh a man is on death row <laughs> um so i i understand why this movie is so fondly remembered and again i did 
I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed myself watching. It. Oh yeah, um, it's not. It, but even though, yes, I I fully appreciate that it's not perfect. It's like it's like criticizing Zoolander. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's it's funny overall, but it's like, are there moments that definitely could have been improved? Absolutely. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, it's not a bad time. Like, you're not going to regret watching it, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if like you know, there's probably more interesting stuff today on TikTok or or on social media or something. And so like, yeah, whether it kind of lives up or like, if you're expecting, obviously, don't go in like expecting this revelatory experience. Like, oh, the AFI named this the you know, tenth mm. best comedy of all time. Like, it, so, I, That's yeah, true. I don't know, I don't know how much it compares on an entertainment, pure entertainment level to like Zoolander or you know, mm. a Netflix romantic comedy or something. But yeah. I mean, it's still an enjoyable watch, um, but I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you like <laughs> how you capture like screwball antics with like say the the politics of like the, well the gun <laughs> the gun owner just did what he had and you know <laughs> like sure it was I a mean black what else is a gun used for? Yeah. <laughs> he stood his ground. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, it's funny. Like I was just double checking the dates. Like when did when did Citizen Kane come out? Because <laughs> it feels like Citizen Kane is a, that a kind year of, like, later, nineteen forty one. Yeah. Like oh wow, we can do that with the camera. Oh, we, yeah. can, we can do this. <laughs> so part of me like wants to give this a pass because I think that's like the delineation point beside between people real like realizing like oh you can direct stuff with cameras. Interesting. <laughs> They're not just there to capture the moment. <laughs> well, maybe we got to catch up on more films from. 1939, which which is a year, obviously, a lot of people like declare is the greatest year in cinema between Stagecoach, uh, The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, blah blah blah. Like, yeah, there's more direction mm, okay. going on there. What? I'm just okay, Grandpa. <laughs> best movie year ever. <laughs> I don't see any Netflix special about the movie that's movies that made us. 1939. <laughs> well, not yet until I write um, the the sequel, the response <laughs> book. Um, uh, uh, best best movie year ever, sport. <laughs> Um, old sport, 1939. Not best period movie, period, year, period, 1999. It's uh, best movie year, old sport, 1939. As I wax poetic about uh, Gone with the Wind, what we really lost in the antebellum south. Exactly. It was a depression era, you see. People needed the picture house. Yeah. <laughs> Europe's in turmoil. What do we do? <laughs> Let's ignore those problems and head straight to the and straight, head straight to Nickelodeon, eh? There you go, Nickelodeon. Dad. Let's go catch a let's go catch a Zoe Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear I hear Keaton's got a new got a new talkie out. Sorry. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, we're uh, not film experts. We're, we apologize for wasting your time. <laughs> we're not film experts, but by gum, it's fun to talk old time. Yeah. <laughs> So, John, if people are pottering off to their uh, their local uh, movie concern, uh, maybe we give them a suggestion. Maybe we uh, maybe we throw a, a sparkling review their way. <laughs> I suppose, but I have a sneaking suspicion they'll be doing it from the comfort of their own homes. Now the movies come to you, but it doesn't stop us from giving you a bright, beautiful spotlight. 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 Now my story begins in 19 tickety two. We had to say tickety because the Kaiser had stolen our weird twenty. Yes, uh, guys, gals, non-binary pals. This is our. Uh, <laughs> this is our. All you beautiful people out there. Yes, <laughs> beautiful. You're also wonderful. I could kiss you right now. Um, <laughs> this is the section of the show that we reserve uh, for a recommendation that we either saw recently or ties to uh, the movie we just watched. Uh, I've got something that um, 
<laughs> couldn't contrast more to his girl Friday. Um, talk about a downer. Uh, I want. Oh, I mentioned no. it uh, a few weeks ago. Again, people people warn you about this movie, and I, I can see why. Uh, I want to talk about the documentary Dear Zachary, um, which is oh, on geez. yeah Criterion oh, Collection. Um, now, there's some contemporary interest in the movie because it's basically telling a true crime tale, um, a horribly tragic one. Um, so we've got a documentary filmmaker who. Um, this was around 2002 or so um his friend suddenly passed and um and uh he had like a he had actually an unborn child at that point and so he wanted to do a documentary about um like basically directed at um his his slain friend's son and um yeah already we're on like emotional like you know wonderful inspired ground um what surprised me though is that again this movie came out in 2002, and it has like kind of the energy and aesthetic of like a, a 90s MTV production. Like it's actually very quick. That's what surprised me. Like everyone warns you this is like an emotionally devastating movie, but still it kind of comes across as like a like a young energetic person, like you know, like cornering you at the maybe maybe after taking a bump, like and quartering you at the uh, at at a party or something. Um, once parties happen again, so, so that's that's kind of the tone initially. But again, as this like horrible true crime like story unfolds like then then the kind of like emotional import and um yeah i want to give the director all the credit in the world because he does pull like something inspiring and it, and that's um making it not just a a letter um not just um a kind of direct message to this guy's son to his slain father but also to um his friend's parents um who then take um at least share custody with this with this young child and it becomes like a tribute to them so um Again, it's 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 a wonderfully done documentary. If a bit like if a bit like rough around the edges because it was kind of like a, an independent effort, and you know he's culling like footage from like across the early two thousands, and it sometimes like varies in in terms of like the interviews he's getting, and he's got to cut like together like things pretty quickly because. I think like a lot of people are telling this emotional story and they can't like they're not giving like full like obvious answers like before without like becoming emotional so he's like cutting like basically one one word at a time one sentence at a time but it really like works like as kind of a piece so again like incredibly powerful filmmaking I think worthy of this like really rough story um that you have to go through which again i don't want to give any details of because it is like horrible and tragic and yes you will cry as everybody warns with this with this documentary you will cry um and so um i can't recommend it enough um so again if you if you want to feel down um (laughs) after after feeling up from his girl friday um dear zachary is the documentary for you Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, no, I was just I was looking it up on IMDb and I found just the worst fucking poster for this film. It's a white chalk outline of a dead body with a baby crawling over it. Oh god. That's that's horribly <laughs> yes. tasteless. Ugh. Yes. Literally and the ti- and the tagline is a true crime story. Dear Zachary, a letter from his father a son to his father. Ugh. It's just <laughs> well, a true crime doesn't really start with it. Um mm. at least at least not re- cuz Again, like when we think of when I throw out that word true crime, here's all the images that conjure up in my head: a very slow, meditative podcast, you know, mm-hmm. like a twin guitar, like it's designed to be like slow, contemplative, or say like thrilling. Again, women don't go out on the street or whatever; you're going to be attacked and killed any second. Um, this isn't that kind of story, but it is like telling, again, a true tale of of murder that has so many twists and turns and again they're all tragic and there's very little like light or redemption that you can pull out of it um so it's it's true crime in that sense um but no it's not like 
salacious. Again, it's just it's just sad. And yeah, you will. <laughs> is there a call to is there a call to action at the end? Can we find this killer? Because <laughs> that's the other. That's oh the yes, other, like, there is that too. There is like an effort to like change the books and the law. Um, yeah, yeah. Like there's this kind of like that's the thing that always makes me feel uncomfortable watching like a a true crime thing is like again like what is the audience participation what is the level of like expectation besides just empathy like that's kind of what um that netflix uh docuseries don't fuck with cats that's what they try to do that's what they try to examine i've never heard of this don't fuck with cats (laughs) yeah it's a true crime show okay there's a true crime show maybe i'll all right i'll turn into my spotlight because it's (laughs) fucking weird But are you? Do you have any more to say? No, about I mean otherwise, idea? like yeah, like it's it's worthy of checking out, even if like you know you need some emotional devastation in your life. <laughs> um, but it sounds like don't fuck with cats is a little bit different. Um, give me the lowdown on this. Now I'm fascinated. So uh, there's a there's a, I think it's a three part ninety minute episode each docu series called Don't Fuck with Cats on Netflix, and so uh, it's. Instead of, you know, it's a true crime story, but also it's trying to examine the kind of a a thing that people don't really talk about a lot with true crime, but also it's like the audience engagement of it. And I think that's part of the reason why true crime is now such a potent force in our our, uh, media landscape is because now with social media, now you're part of the conversation. And so, like, Don't Fuck With Cats starts out with um, someone... um, is posting a uh, videos of them torturing cats. Mm. Someone is posting these things online, and um, this enterprising Facebook group says we need to bring this man to justice. And so, um, you know, it it goes through the kind of like step by step of what they do to kind of like try to track this man, like all of the kind of like internet sleuthing, all the doxing, and as we go along, you know, now we start to get into the ethics of it. it's like. Well, what if they're wrong? What if they start targeting someone who is completely innocent? Um, and like this, like dogpiling, it's like the, the righteous indignation that the internet thinks that they deserve, that the right to that they have. Um, you know, what if that, what happens if that goes into the wrong direction? Like, yeah. what if that targets the wrong person? But at the same time, it's also like trying to maintain that kind of like, um, uh, urgency that it's like, we need to catch this man, we need to stop him because he's a monster. The other weird ethical direction it takes, again, it's like really hard to talk about without spoiling, is because he likes the chase, because the killer is also part of the game, he feels that he needs to escalate his, you know, videos and his, where his, you know, actions go. So he's he's aware that he's like now this object of derision. He's like the. the, I I know they say like. <laughs> There's this theory that like oh serial killers like get sloppy or complacent or or, exactly. or no like oh they want to get caught or something and it's not that they get sloppy and complacent or something or they try to up the ante or they try to like move on and yeah it sounds like that's what this guy is doing like exactly yeah. and as we all know all serial killers start with small animals first and then they work their I, way up yes because to... <laughs> yeah <laughs> every serial killer is the same <laughs> they are that's what true crime is teaching us yeah um, <laughs> follow the profile the profiles always work. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me, I've seen Mindhunter. I'm pretty much an expert. <laughs> I, I've seen Criminal Minds. I'm even more of an expert, all right? There's like 80,000 more episodes of Criminal Minds than there are Mindhunters, sir. <laughs> that is a great point. Actually, that's the weird thing. Criminal Minds is like the most streamed thing ever, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, like oh I believe it. I believe it. Um, <laughs> if you look at the raw numbers, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, obviously, you know, he now he knows he's being chased. Now he knows that there's this internet mob after him. So he feels like he needs to play the game too, and he needs to up the ante as well. And so, like, and of course, the documentary. I don't think it quite succeeds 100. So I don't want to like overpraise it. I like the fact that it's playing in the space and trying to like talk about the ethics of true crime. I think that is part of the thesis. But at the same time, it's still wrapped in this package of like, see if you can solve the mystery. <laughs> and you know, it it only seems like. It does this kind of like thing at the end where, you know, they look at the camera and they go, and you out there, you watching, shame on you. <laughs> it's like the, you know, those, those stupid fucking movies like The Running Man where it's like, oh, can you believe these people love the spectacle of violence? Wait a minute. Maybe that's you too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's, it's, it's interesting. I'd say it's worth a watch, but uh, I think in terms of execution, it's not quite perfect, but um, it's it's interesting subject matter. Okay. They don't actually show the cats getting killed, do they? Or they just kind no, of there's no it. actual... Okay. Yeah, they just kind of describe it. They show, like, the beginning, and then they, you know, they show, like, the intro to the video. All right. The killer obviously never shows his face, but it shows what he's doing. And then, you know, cuts to, you know, the people, like, reminiscing about watching it online and what they were feeling and mm-hmm. things like okay. that, you know, so... All yeah. right, so it's at least it's no. tasteful in that respect. Okay. Netflix doesn't have to worry about content moderation, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I, no. <laughs> well, as as a cat owner myself, like, obviously, I hate my cats. They're demons. But I don't, oh, I don't yes. want I don't want to see any harm befall any creatures. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, but again, this is the ethics of it. This is like, cats are horrible. They're horrible creatures that we invite to our house. <laughs> How do we square this? I, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like that horrible video i don't even want to bring it up but um no don't yeah. don't <laughs> we can stop here we can stop yes. here <laughs> the point is i guess we can the call. point is i don't care i don't care how many listeners we lose we think animal cruelty is wrong all right wow hard, hard hot take those are the <laughs> Craig those Mantel are the fix. brave stances that we take on this podcast all right yes. hey if you think animal cruelty is cool you're, you're free to leave all right <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, I don't care. Again, I don't we care how many we subscribers we lose. Craig, we can't spare to lose a single one. Okay, yeah. I want to reach towards the middle, guys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, some people think animal cruelty is okay. Others don't. Okay. Well, I will. I, what I'm concerned about is unity. Yes. Okay. <laughs> some people want Medicare for all. Some people want an ethno white Christian national state. I think we can meet somewhere <laughs> in the middle, guys. Yeah. <laughs> You're this generation's Henry Clay. What if we have a little bit of slavery, guys? <laughs> what if just, like, enough slavery? Yeah. Like, as a treat. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Well, Greg, I want to wrap it up there, because it seems like we've, we're, really, we're desperately close to canceling. Yes. But unfortunately, we can't. There's still one more segment we need to get to. What is it? And that is the patented trivia challenge. I, I, I should be ready for it. We've been doing this for weeks now, and yet I never am. <laughs> no. And my heart's pounding. My pulse is racing. Psychological warfare. Yeah. Psychological warfare. Greg, it was announced recently that uh, auteur American filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson will be coming out uh, with a new movie this year. And, yeah. oh, the world is excited. The world is... is, is count me... Cannot wait. Count me in. Absolutely. As the mm. president of the PTA fan club, um, Los Angeles chapter. <laughs> but, Greg, I see, for me, I'm less excited because there's already another Paul that I love dearly who already came out with a movie last year called Monster Hunter. I'm, of course, talking about Paul W.S. Anderson. Okay. Another renowned, world-renowned auteur. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> And so for this trivia challenge, you're, we're going to be 
going head-to-head. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to have to tell me if it's PTA or, Paul or PWSA, okay? All right. <laughs> Finally, um, 20 years of confusion of <laughs> confusion among uh, cinema lovers will be, will be adjudicated, will be resolved right now. Um, yes. All right. You've got, you've got 16 questions. 16? Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> hey, there's only two potential answers, okay? All right, fair <laughs> yes. All right. Question the first. Which director is older? The older was born on March 4th, 1965, while the younger was born on June 26th, 1970. Um, that would be Paul W.S. Anderson, because I know that PTA was only like 25 when he did his first film in 1995. So That is correct. W.S. is older. Yes. All right. Question the second. Which director is taller? The taller one is 6'3", while the shorter one is 5'10 and a half. The perfect height, if you ask me. So PTA doesn't do a lot of press, but he's not that short. Or he doesn't seem like that tall. So I'm going to go with Paul W.S. Anderson. That is also correct. He is the taller one. Yes. Good job. All right. Now, question the third. Both directors are famously known for having smoking hot babes for wives. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah, dog. <laughs> but which one has more kids? Ooh. One has four kids while the other has three. That's a fantastic question. Um, as we delve into people's personal lives, um, <laughs> whom we don't know very well. Do you love that I'm talking about it just in terms of what they're like the yes. most basic questions? Yeah. <laughs> We're not even gotten to the directorial or like Hollywood related questions. It's just which one's taller? I, <laughs> which one? Which one weighs more? <laughs> I like it. I feel like we're getting to know them as people, not just not mm. just through work. Like you know, we're we're understanding them as human beings, not just through what they do for us or what value they mm. add. Yeah, come on. Um, I'm gonna go with. Paul W.S. Anderson for that one. No, actually. Paul Thomas Anderson has four kids with Maya Rudolph, while uh, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson has three with Mila Jovovich. Okay. right. Dang, I didn't know they had four kids. I thought they only had two. Yep. Well, I know. We can look forward to PTA's next film, which was written in collaboration with his eldest daughter, which is going to be centered Mm. around, around high school, I believe. So... I mean, it wouldn't be an Anderson tradition if nepotism wasn't involved. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> get his ass. Roast him. <laughs> All right, question the fourth. Which director has more directing credits? Which director has more directing credits? Well, that one, just based on, I think he has more directing credits just in the Resident Evil franchise um, than the other one. So I'm going to go with Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> Sadly, no. What? Because that's also including music videos. No. So oh, including oh, sudden, no. everything. <laughs> Boo. Including everything. Paul Thomas Anderson has 46 directing credits, whereas W.S. Anderson only has 18. Boo. Does not count. Boo. Nope. <laughs> oh, I'm voting it down. On. I'm sending it to replay review. I'm throwing the flag. <laughs> Amy Mann and Fiona Apple still count, okay? No, they do not. No. I'm correct on that one. All right. Okay. All right, which director has more writing credits? So you see, you're trying to throw me because Paul Thomas Anderson famously writes all of his films. But I mean, I know who knows Paul W. S. Anderson could have a hand in uh, in all those Resident Evil movies and and maybe uh, oh, what's the the Kurt Russell one, Gamer or something? No, that's not it. Whatever, whatever. Now I'm off track. Um, Soldier, that was it. Uh, I will go with Paul W. S. Anderson. Incorrect again. No. Paul Thomas Anderson is 18, where W.S. Anderson has 16. But, again, so what, has... are these on the music videos? What, what is this? 
You're gonna have to look up. You're gonna have to adjudicate IMDb. Okay, no, I'm going I off am IMDb. not going off IMDb. All right. <laughs> All right. Which director has more trademarks according to IMDb? <laughs> One of them has thirteen, and the other has nine. All right. So more people. Here's the thing: more people on IMDb would be looking for trademarks with Paul Thomas Anderson movies versus Paul W S Anderson movies. So there, by that logic, Paul Thomas Anderson would have more trademarks. That is correct. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson has more trademarks. Yeah. Long, yeah. long takes. Keep that, <laughs> um, keep that in mind because that's going to be important. John Bryan next. score. <laughs> yeah, questions. John Bryan scores. Um. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, a few gimme questions. Number seven. <laughs> yeah. Which director dropped out of NYU's film program after only two days? Well, that would be Paul Thomas Anderson because, again, he had a no, safety, net, safety net, you know, being, <laughs> being the son of, of uh, entertainment. Not royalty, but whatever, but yeah. We love our elite institutions, but we love it even more when they drop out of the elite institutions. Like, okay, great. Meritocracy, obviously working. All right. Uh, Number eight, which director has said on record that he is sick and tired of having to explain the significance of the reigning frogs at the end of Magnolia? (laughs) Well, obviously, Paul W. Sanderson, he's sick of answering that question because people are mistakenly asking for it because they think he directed Magnolia when he didn't. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Bam. Oh, All I right. was joking. Like, he, that is legitimate answer. Like, Paul W.S. That's a legitimate <laughs> answer. You were right. <laughs> yes. Can you believe that some people out there think, like, ah, oh, the director of Magnolia and Resident Evil 3. <laughs> um, that's Resident Evil Apocalypse, John. No, you get it right. excuse me. <laughs> All right. Now, for the next eight, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell you a trademark listed on IMDb, and you're going to have to tell me which one is which. Okay. okay? All right. Question the first of trademarks. Visually stunning scenery. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, that well-known, uh, that one that's unique to just uh, one director. <laughs> exactly. That's his trademark, Greg, okay? He's an auteur. Only he's allowed to use visually stunning scenery. I'm really struggling with this one. Because <laughs> when we were talking about visually stunning scenery, like we're we're literally only talking about There Will Be Blood for Paul Thomas. The rest of them are like interiors and like the San Fernando Valley. That's it. <laughs> um, whereas <laughs> Paul W. S. Anderson has done stunning vistas of a post-apocalyptic uh, Resident Evil, post-apocalyptic Soldier, um, uh, space with Event Horizon. Um, yeah, I'll go with Paul W. S. Anderson. That is correct. Damn. Good work. Yes. <laughs> All right. Number two, Dork's surreal sense of humor. Well, that's got to be PTA. Uh, unless, unless I haven't seen enough um, uh, Resident Evil to see how dark and surreal the humor gets there. But Greg, everyone has always said Res- uh, Event Horizon was one of the funniest movies I've <laughs> yes. ever seen. So, <laughs> but yes, it was PTA. Okay. All right. Number three, films that have family relations as a minor theme. Minor. Oh, sorry, major theme. Major, major yeah. Theme. I was going to say yeah, minor sorry. theme. I don't, I don't think so. That's PTA all the way. Mm, that is correct. Yeah. Unless, if you think about it, I mean, the Resident Evil characters, they're, they're like family in a way. Um, <laughs> Jill correct. Valentine and um, Alex Wesker and the guy played by uh, Wentworth Miller, I think, is one of them. <laughs> all right. Um I, I'm number four. I've completely lost track of how many I've gotten right or wrong. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you've gotten, you've gotten, you've got. I think you're at like a seventy percent right now. Okay, so. great. <laughs> All right, number four: slow or fast revolving pullback shots. Slow or fast revolving pullback shots. That sounds like revolving. 
Oh, that's got to be Paul W.S. Anderson. Where the camera like literally spins. That's what you mean? Yes. Okay, yes. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It'll go forward really slowly and then revamp back and then go back slowly Got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, the coolest, guys. Yeah. The coolest. <laughs> I thought you meant like um, the uh, Martin Scorsese cribbing like sudden like dolly zoom in. Like there's a shot when um, uh, Dirk Diggler is having an argument with his mom, and there's one shot that pushes in suddenly on Dirk Diggler's dad, and that's the only shot of him. <laughs> um, just, <laughs> there's that it. There's that like stunning moment like where we're gonna like circle around the bed and go right into Dirk Diggler's like distraught dad's face, and that's it. That's the only time we see the character. <laughs> like you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> What's that for? I don't know, but it's cool. <laughs> I don't know why. We'll never do Boogie Nights for this because we've both seen it. Yeah, I just don't get it. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're the you're the subversive. You don't, you don't like Paul Thomas yes. Anderson that much. <laughs> well, no, I like some of his movies. I don't like his earlier shit. Because <laughs> again, he's the hot shot. I dropped out of NYU. I know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number five. Oddly tilted, high or low angles. Hmm. Oddly tilted, high or low angles. That that sounds like a Paul W. S. Anderson trademark to me. That is correct, good sir. All right. Good. Yes. Because it's, yeah, if we're just going to adjudicate shots in Boogie Nights, there's a long opening tracking shot where it tilts like 90 degrees, so you see the whole marquee on one theater across the street. But anyway, all right. All right, number six, use of religious imagery and references. Well, um, you know, I know the creators of Resident Evil were deeply inspired by the gospel and um, mm. religious iconography. For that one, I'm going to go with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. That is correct. I thought, no, Aliens versus Predator would throw you off with that one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of religious imagery in there. Yeah. You know, showing the rich culture of the Mayans, <laughs> who are apparently aliens worshipping the Predators. <laughs> okay. I thought it was like a Garden of Eden vibe. <laughs> like, um... <laughs> The predators were like Adam and Eve, you know, perf- in a perfect world, and then the snake were the aliens who like came in and infiltrated it. But <laughs> all right, number seven, yeah. characters often feel out of place in their time. <laughs> characters feel often out of place in their time. Well, that applies to Mila Jovovich's character, who is a clone in the uh, <laughs> in the Resident Evil movies. Uh, gets cloned over many, many times over. Um, so she feels out of place sometimes. Um, but that yes. one, I'm going to go with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And now the last one. Number eight. Dialogue and characters that transcend their video game origins, <laughs> thus highlighting humanity's place in the universe. <laughs> oh, come on. It's throwing a softball over the plate. <laughs> that is, of course, um, Paul Thomas Anderson, who was deeply inspired by Mortal Kombat when he did There Will Be Blood in the Master. Um <laughs> When, da- just, when Daniel I, when Daniel Day Lewis when Paul when Daniel Plainview said get over here at the end of There Will Be Blood come on I just love I just had to include it because that's something someone earnestly wrote on IMDb dialogue and characters that transcend their video game origins thus highlighting humanity's place in the universe. <laughs> Man, I I hope somebody at IMDb's um, administrative and moderation department was fired for that blunder. (laughs) (laughs) So seriously, what's the answer? Tell me the answer. (laughs) Well, I told you, Paul Thomas Anderson. Because again, there was that that wonderful tribute at the end of There Will Be Blood. Um, There was, um, remember that Pikmin reference in Inherent Vice? (laughs) In many ways, we're all like Pikmin, man. We're all like lost in time. Yeah. I like Olimar. We're lost in space. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's deep, man. 
no, sadly, unfortunately, uh, Paul Thomas Paul Thomas Anderson has not committed his talents to a video game adaptation. But someday, maybe. Um, yes. No, that <laughs> that is it's it's probably more. Let's try to do this. I'm going to do this. Try to off my head. How many movies Paul W S Anderson has directed that have not been video game adaptations? Um, right now, I can only th- only think of one, and that is um, Event Horizon. There's got to be another one in there. I think Soldier was based on a video game, right? Well, so it's hard to gauge, but what, what would you consider Alien versus Predator? Plus, he did the original. Yeah, he did the original for that one, but that one is so that concept is just so sloggy and stupid. It's hard to <laughs> kind of say like, oh, at least it's not a video game adaptation. <laughs> but, well, did it start like it was a comic book first, right? Wasn't it? Or yes, it, it depends on well, where it okay. was. Like, what what was the first property or something? So obviously, Aliens was first, mm-hmm. and I believe the origins of it is in Predator Two, the best of the franchise. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they end up on the ship. And we see all the skulls of all the creatures that they've collected. Mm-hmm. And as a little Easter egg, one of them is the xenomorph from Aliens. That started this whole fucking conversation about, well, how do they fit in? And then I think it became um, a comic book. And then that obviously sold well, because in the 90s, that was the last time comics actually kind of sold well. <laughs> um, and then that was enough for them to go to Paul W.S. Anderson. We need your, we need your, your je ne sais quoi. <laughs> um, let's, let's do a movie where you pit the alien versus the predator. And also Ridley Scott is a big influence on Paul Thomas uh, on Paul W S Anderson. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, he co-wrote it, mm-hmm. and you know it's about it's about a badass female stuck in a booby-trapped la- la- layered <laughs> thing. <laughs> Not completely different from you know Resident Evil, which he also co-wrote. Yes. This is kind of his thing. <laughs> so let's see. I'm just looking up his director's credit yeah i'm looking up the director's credits right now i'm not giving paul ws anderson enough credit because soldier is a is an original screenplay that's a huge rarity these days um but also there was the three musketeers movie with um christoph waltz there was pompeii with kit harrington remember that one (laughs) (laughs) remember kit harrington yes and uh, Death Race, which is a remake, but not a video game. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, good for so him. So he's always like property adjacent. Yeah. But again, that's Hollywood for you. They always need you. Always need like some kind of intellectual property. Absolutely. And I'm also looking up uh, all the characters that he's worked with. I love these cross sections on um, on Wikipedia that shows you who they worked with. That's another angle you could have taken with. They're frequent collaborators um, mm. between like uh, who worked with which director more, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> What about Michelle oh, Michelle Rodriguez? Um, that's true. That would have been a good. I thought the I thought the director's trademarks would throw you for a loop, though. I yeah, that was important. That we. Well, they're so specific, you know. Um, beautiful imagery. The cameras in focus. Family. Family is a theme. Yeah. The cameras in focus Act- and in color. Actors saying dialogue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we I'm glad we can now can finally tell them apart. Now we've, yeah. we've been able to definitively say this one's this, this one's that. Perfect. Because binaries are important. Binaries are important. I, John, I, I like a little more nuance, and that's why I go to social media um, to get oh. every side of the conversation. Yeah. And so if you give that's us a like on idea. Facebook or a follow on Twitter and Instagram, um, again, we're contributing to the conversation. Just give us a like there. And also um, subscribe to us on your podcast service of choice or follow, whatever they're uh, nomenclature is now and write us a review if you had as good a time as we did um i had a wonderful time <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I feel like we we slipped effortlessly effortlessly between um, screwball comedy to uh, true crime documentaries <laughs> to uh, the wonderful work of Paul Tom- Paul W S Anderson. So <laughs> that's the other problem. Paul Thomas Anderson is just so much easier to say. <laughs> yes, he, yes, it is. <laughs> But yes, please, if we can grow our audience if you give us five stars, and that would just be so magical if you could just give us a review. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, and then the only thing that's left is to tell them what we're watching next week. Well, John, we decide uh, what 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 is considered a classic based on a number of criteria, um, well-worn criteria. Um, the IMDb top 250. Um, <laughs> Reddit is another big one. Um, <laughs> Letterbox, yes. Rotten Tomatoes, well, all the important I, algorithms. I will say yes. I will say that's the new one. Rotten Tomatoes. And so, you know, you and I haven't examined Citizen Kane yet um, because we've already seen it. I mean, we widely consider uh, we join in a chorus of many other film critics in, in saying it's one of the greatest uh, achievements in cinematic history. Um, however, it's now been surpassed. We have to say, statistically, it's done. It's gone. Throw it in the, <laughs> throw it in the garbage bin. And so, next... Well, now also, I think also Mank has something to do with it. Like, uh, once Mank yeah. came out, everyone's like, this is obsolete! Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mank is so much better, so much more compelling. Um, <laughs> you, you could either see the story of a li- uh, man's life, or, um, I don't know, three weeks in uh, Victorville. <laughs> um, which, which story do you think is more compelling? But, um, yes, now we're going to be looking at what is statistically the greatest movie of all time. And that is, of course, Paddington 2. Hmm. <laughs> And I think it's also important that we catch up on Paddington One because I, I, you know, it, also the best movie of all time being a sequel that just that doesn't feel right in the mouth. But you know, like uh, I, I, I will, that, I will not be doing that um, based on my experience with Godzilla vs Kong. I now refuse to do homework. I now refuse to <laughs> catch up on on things because uh, I, I now know that it's not needed. I'm too savvy uh, and too smart to. Uh, have to I, again do the, do this stuff again. No, forget it. I mean, there's something to be said about extra textuals, you know, you know, ruining your opinion of things. So I think that's actually fair. You know, you're going in fresher. You're coming in with fresher eyes. Yeah. So maybe that'll be this. But I will be I will be adjudicating both Paddingtons, good sir. Okay. okay. Yes. All right. Fair enough. I I guess I'll I'll join you, even though I'm not made of time and money. But okay. <laughs> oh, excuse me. You're so it's a pandemic. What are you doing? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I have to go to the bathroom, so let's sign off quickly and swiftly. <laughs> okay, okay, fair point. Right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, um, get your team crumpets ready for another additional inspiring snobs, you'd brave. <laughs> Oi! That's, is that how they talk in Paddington? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> what am I saying? I was, watching a, ph- I, I was watching Philosophy too, and there was a moment where they are like... You're doing a lovely bill when you're on stone. I'm like, I thought they spoke English. English what happened? <laughs> Roaster. <laughs> Roasted. Nobody wants to be your friend, because you're not from around here. As if that was something to be proud about. The king of the Isle of Dogs feels of children in the bones. Yeah.